Chapter 17. If there was anything good to come of being cursed, it was that in one short week my brothers and I grew close again, as close as we'd been when we were children. The winter loomed over our little cave, the skies dismal and gray, our spirits were anything but. Yotan and Benkai told ghost stories by the fire, Wande chased after Kiki and tried chiseling birds out of, of his own out of firewood, and I su supervised while Andahai and Hasho cooked. Sometimes during our meals we shared our earliest memories of Reikama. I contributed little, I was the youngest. After all, so my recollections were the least clear. But it was also shame that kept me silent. I'd been the fondest of Reikama when she first came to Kiata, a fact I wished I could erase forever. Maybe I already had. It was odd, but I hardly remembered why I'd ever loved my stepmother. It was as if someone had turned those memories into sand and blown them away from the past. Truth be told, it was probably better that way. I didn't miss them. She isn't from Kiata, that much we know, said Wandai, logically. If father met her abroad, he must have brought ships with him, an entire crew of men. There will be records of her arrival, or at least of her birthplace. A woman with her beauty cannot simply have appeared out of nowhere, Yotan agreed. You forget that she's a sorceress, I mind them, poking my words into the dirt. She might not always have been beautiful. But she most certainly had a name, a family, a home. Hajar paused. It's a start. It was a start, but I was more preoccupied with the ending. A day or two after we returned from Mount Rayuna, when the pain in my hands had subsided, I sought out Benkai to show me how to use my dagger. There had been a reason I'd taken the dagger from the Sentinel, and it wasn't merely to break chestnut shells or ha hack starstroke. Benkai was a high Sentinel, and my other five brothers were skilled warriors. One day soon, we would have to return home to the palace, where Rayakama's magic reigned strong. Teach me, I begged silently, and a high step between us. A dagger isn't going to do much against Rayakama. Even Benkai missed when we tried to fight her. Let your hands heal so you can begin work on the starstroke, Yotan agreed. The net is our best chance of defeating her. Take a rest, Shiori. You're all coddling her as if she were a silkworm, said Reiji. She just stole starstroke from the Dragon King. She can handle a knife, he rose, dusting his torn trousers. I'll teach her. The others and I looked at him startled. Of all my brothers, I hadn't expected him to take my side. Without another word, he led me to the back of the cave, and our training began. Eventually, Benkai joined, and by the end of the night, we were sparring. You've grown stronger, Shiori, Benkai said, surprised, when I held my own against him. Two months of toiling for Mrs. Dane and cleaving cabbages and melons with her dull knives and hauling firewood in the cold had helped. If only all that could have prepared me to deal with the pain of the starstroke. The next day, when my brothers left to gather supplies for winter, I tackled the nettles at last, spreading them over the cave to determine my course of action. No blade could pierce the nettles, let alone cut them. In their raw form, I couldn't weave the stumps together to make a net, and I certainly couldn't sew them together, not with their fiery thorns and sharp razor leaves. A trio of magics I repeated to myself after hours of agonizing with Kiki. If three magics had really created these cursed nettles, all I could see was the demon fire, the blinding light that encased every stalk, what, where were the strands of fate and the blood scars? Try removing the leaves and the nettles, Kiki suggested. You can hardly touch the starstroke otherwise. It wasn't as easy as pruning roses, that was for certain. The thorns and leaves were like teeth and claws. Removing the leaves was, was the easier task, for they snapped off with a few scrapes of my blade. As long as, I was not, as long as I was careful not to touch their jagged edges, my fingers usually managed to escape unscathed. The thorns, on the other hand, were stubborn magic. They could not be removed unless I pounded at them with rocks that I had collected along the mountainside. Pounding them off was slow, arduous work. But I was indeed to be rewarded. Demon fire armored every vine of starstroke. But once the last leaf was cut and the last thorn chipped off, the nettles transformed. The demon fire sank into the fibrous stalk, muting the nettles' dazzling, dazzling light. Within minutes, the starstroke became a skein of coarse, loose threads, 
glimmering violet and blue and silver like stardust against the twilight sky, the blood of stars. I cradled the threads in my battered hands, half in awe, half in disbelief. This one reedy string had taken all day to achieve. I would need hundreds more before I had enough to weave a net. At my current pace, it would be well into winter by the time I was done. Still, I'd learn to rejoice in even the smallest victory. That evening, when my brothers returned, I showed it to them. We celebrated by roasting chestnuts and feasting on purple yams and counting the stars until we fell asleep. If only such good times were meant to last. As the days passed, I could feel myself slipping back into old habits. More than once, I almost snapped at Andahai aloud, almost laughed at one of Yotan's jokes, almost cooed at the nestlings Hasho brought into the cave. My voice, which I had trained myself to forget when I was at Sparrow Inn, was dangerously loosening from my throat. That could not happen. I started pretending to be asleep when my brothers returned in the evening, started to feign indifference when they offered to fly me into the clouds. I withdrew from dinner early, didn't laugh at Yotan's jokes, and told Benkai and Reiji I was too tired to spar. Being alone was easier, working with the starstroke alone was easier. Each night my hands healed just enough for me to attack the day's work again. I handled the nettles with care to avoid the worst of their wrath. When I was feeling brave, I practiced touching the thorns and the leaves, teaching myself to hold in my gasps and cries. Pain doesn't get easier, I reminded myself when I flinched. You just have to get stronger. Slowly, the practice made my tender skin grow thick and resilient, and by the end of the month, I could grab an entire stock of starstroke with so much, without so much as a wince. But I knew it wasn't just enough for my skin or my voice to be strong. All of me had to be, if I wanted to break our curse, my heart especially. That evening, I stood outside the cave to observe the full the moon. It had grown plump over the month. Soon it would be full, and I would see Saryu again. I hoped he had gleaned something useful from his grandfather. You want to consort with the dragon, and I exclaimed when I wrote my brothers about the impending meeting. Have you forgotten it was the dragon that nearly killed us? That was Saryu's grandfather, I mouthed, but my eldest brother didn't understand. He didn't want to. I tried again, starting to scratch in the mud. He can help, and I snatched my riding stick from me. You are not to meet with him, he said. I don't care what your reasons are. A dragon's only allegiance is to himself. We cannot trust anyone. I searched among my brothers for an ally, but found none, not even in Hasho. My decision is made, Chiori, Andahai said. You are not to leave. Andahai's right, Benkai said gently. Our priority must be discovering Rikama's name. Perhaps whenever we are back, we can come with you. My head jerked up. They sounded like they'd be away for longer than a day. We'll be gone a week, Benkai confirmed. Maybe longer if our journey takes us outside Kiata. There's plenty of food for you, said Yotan, trying to make me feel better, and you'll have the nettles to keep you busy. Where are you going? We will begin in the south, Andahai said. Snakes are cold-blooded creatures. It is unlikely that Rikama came from the north. A fair assumption, yet it stung that they hadn't consulted with me at first. I reached for my riding stick to ask more about their route, but Andahai immediately presumed I was going to ask to go with them. You only slow us down. Wanda doesn't have time to make another basket for you. Stay in the cave and keep hidden. Keep hidden. I crossed my arms, both exasperated and insulted at once. I thumped my fists on my chest. I can fend for myself. Maybe against Reiji, but Benkai lets you win. Bandits won't. Hasho agreed. Promise us you'll stay in the cave. We've prepared everything that you need, said Andahai. Food, water, a space to work on the nettles. Don't leave unless it's a dire emergency. Cavorting with dragons is not a dire emergency. I hadn't come all this way just to languish in the cave, weaving starstroke from dawn to dusk. I'd come to break the curse. Anger flared in my chest, but I bowed, thanking my brothers for their thoughtfulness and flashing them my meekest smile. Not one of them noticed that I made no promise. In the morning, as soon as my brothers left, I grabbed my satchel and hurried to the river to meet Saryu. Didn't you hear what your brothers said? Kiki exclaimed, flying after me. Stay in the cave. 
I skipped over a fallen log, jumped into a pile of orange and yellow leaves. Did you really believe I'd listen to them? Rayakama has a dragon pearl. And who better than a dragon to help us? Gods. Things on Mount Rayuna had been so rushed, I hadn't even had a chance to tell Sarah you the most terrible part of the curse, that I had to utter Rayakama's true name and lose one of my brothers. I forged on. Sarah, you can help us. I know it. Not today, Kiki pleaded. There was a skirmish in the forest this morning. The flycatchers told me. Soldiers. Soldiers, I slowed, surveying the trees rocking in the wind. Their branches were sparse, gray with the coming winter. The percussion of leaves crunching and sweeping was only squirrels and foxes at play. My father's men? Some were, some weren't. Where are they now? Kiki flitted higher, chirping something to the other birds. South of us. I relaxed. So if we keep heading west to the river, we should miss them. No, Kiki fluttered. If you keep heading to the river, you'll get closer to them. They're on the move too, Shiori. You should turn back to the cave. I miss meeting with Seryu. I shook my head. Not a chance. I had too many questions for the dragon. Stop worrying, Kiki. I'll be careful. Over the last week, the trees had lost their splendor, their limbs graying with frost as their leaves fell upon the earth in coats of brown and burnt orange. It made for a bleaker, entirely different-looking forest, but I knew my way to the river. Its waters were fierce today, and I followed the roar of rapids until at last I reached its banks. Sarah, you, I shouted with my mind. I'm here. No sign of the dragon. He hadn't specified a time for us to meet. So I knelt on the soft dirt, tossing pebbles into the river and staring down blue dappled lizards perched on the rocks beside me. Above, Kiki hovered anxiously. Will you calm down? I asked. There's no one around. I leaned back in the grass. If Sarah was going to take all day, then I was going to take a nap and let my tired fingers rest. A lizard crawled over my stomach, hopping onto my satchel. You're hungry, aren't you? I asked silently. I am too. I should have thought ahead and packed a snack. Maple leaves tumbled over my face, their edges crisp and browning. I blew them off my nose and started to roll onto my side, but the lizard was still on my satchel. Its muscles had gone taut, and its head jerked up, the last movement it was ever to make. A snake struck, swallowing the lizard in one bite. I shot up to my elbows, kicking away in fear. The snake lurched toward me, its mottled head high, two round yellow eyes in staring mine. Shiori, it hissed. I went immediately still. So this is where you've been hiding. The snake flicked out its tongue, thin and forked. Those yellow eyes darted to the enchanted satchel on my hip. Her radiance warns you not to interfere with the spell, interfere with the spell she has cast. There are events in motion you, you do not understand. I swung at it with my dagger as it dove back into the leaves. I sprang to my feet and ran. I didn't know which way I was going. I woke through the wash of orange and gray and brown. Kiki screamed something, but my heart was pounding too loudly in my ears to hear. I figured she was telling me to go faster. Only when my legs started to tire and my throat began to burn did I look back. The snake was nowhere to be seen. Thank the gods. I leaned against a tree to catch my breath. That was close, I breathed, expecting Kiki to laugh with me, but she wasn't there. Kiki, I cried, spinning. I didn't look where I was going and stumbled over a dead body. I wheeled back in horror. Two cloudy eyes peered up at the sky, still wide with shock. The blood was bright against a scattering of dead leaves and spilled from a neat slash to the abdomen. It was a recent death. The birds and insects hadn't gotten to him yet. Shioi, Kiki screeched. The hunters! Twigs snapped. Footsteps crunched in the fallen leaves. I froze. My knees locked as I crouched, hiding behind a bush, but I forgot about my breath. It frosted in the air, the steam curling up and giving away my presence. Who's there, yelled a man, not far. The shots grew closer, and I went very still, everything sharpening into focus. I'd run the wrong way. I couldn't hear the river anymore. And no, no, I cursed my terrible luck. An arrow shot out from behind the trees, whizzing so close to my ears, rang, temporarily deafened. Lord Hasej, it's a girl. I bolted, my heart beating twice as fast as my steps. There's four of them, Kiki screeched, watched out. Behind the bushes, a hunter leapt out, low, his, life ang his, kni his knife angling from my leg. 
My first impulse was to scream, but luckily fear closed up my lungs. I scraped away only barely. Another one, on your side. Another hunter knocked me to the ground. It happened so fast that I tasted dirt before I felt the ringing in my head. But I quickly scrambled to my feet. I dove into the bushes, skidding across leaves and tumbling down little mounds. It felt like I had been running for hours, but I could still see the dead bodies peeking out from beneath the foliage. It couldn't have been more than a minute before I heard footsteps again. There were four of them, just as Kiki had said. Only they weren't hunters, not with their feathered helmets and leather armor. They were sentinels. When you're overpowered by an opponent, flee, Reiji had told me during our lessons. Benkai will tell you to stay and fight, but winning is not about honor. It's about surviving to fight again. I was trying, but the tallest one, the leader, was fast. Strong, too. I narrowly ducked the tip of his sword as it came slicing down toward my face. Thinking myself victorious, I let my guard down. I didn't see his foot swoop out to throw me onto my back. The earth thudded under me. I bit my cheek not to cry out in pain. By the time I rose, three arrows were pointed at my head. The leader lifted his helmet, talking. The cruel stare he gave me was the same as before. Black eyes, hard and unyielding. Crooked smile, so cold that my stomach turned to ice. Yet something was different. His armor was plain and unadorned. No deep blue chain mail. And the scabbard of his sword was bereft of the bushy and crest. Hold your weapons, he ordered as his men rounded on me. Three fellow sentinels, but to my disappointment, not one of them was the kind soldier from Sparrow Inn. I remember you, the kitchen wench, who wouldn't bow, Talkin sneered. Your timing is suspect, demon. I knew you were no cook. He held me up by my neck and forced me to look at the bodies fallen in the forest. Look around, your companions are dead. Soon you will be too. Arrows stuck out of their ribs, gashes bright red with death. All seven were robed in brown, camouflaging themselves with the woods. Assassins. Everything was ringing, the, trust, the trees rustling in the wind, my pulse drumming in my throat. I kicked air, and my fingers clawed, clawed uselessly at my neck. I'm not with them. Talkin didn't understand. Neither did his men. I can't even see her face, grumbled one of the sentinels. Can't she speak? Talkin squeezed my jaw so hard it hurt. He shook me. Where's my cousin, demon? Speak, or this breath will be your last. <clears throat> was he talking about the soldier at Sparrow Inn? She doesn't look like she's with the Alandon, said another sentinel, studying me. He was the oldest of the four, his pewter-colored hair tied into a topknot. We should let her go. Let her go? I've met this minx before. Talkin shook me. Heart again, harder this time. Where is Talkin? I looked up, disorientated. I could have sworn he had just asked me where Talkin was. But you're Talkin, I thought, my mind reeling and confusing. There's This girl's a wilding, not an assassin, said the older sentinel again. Hasej, we don't have time for this. Release her and let us be on our way. Hasej? Whatever this false Talkin's name really was, it did not matter. I grabbed an arrow from his quiver and dragged the pointed end across his face. Hasege let out a roar, and I headbutted him in the skull. It was the best use I'd ever made of the ball on my head. He dropped me, and I snatched my dagger, twisting away from the sentinels. I wasn't fast enough. He seized my wrist, squeezing it until my heart leapt with pain, and the dagger fell out of my grasp. He caught it in his other hand. Blood trickled down his chin, clotted in the dark bristles of his beard. He was pressing the blade against my neck when he let out a deep laugh. Look what we have here, he said, showing his men. Talkin's dagger. Talkin's dagger, my thoughts turned wildly, but that, that meant that the sentinel at Sparrow Inn was, was Lord Bushian's son, my betrothed. My head hurt too much to make any sense of it, and it didn't help that Hesedge dug the dagger deeper into my skin, the metal sting cold and biting. So you have seen him. I kicked at the three sentinels, knowing it was useless to try and make them understand, but I was desperate enough to try anyway. He gave it to me, the older one, the one who suggested letting me go, frowned. She has Talkin's emblem. The sentinel pointed at the knotted tassel and the dagger, the one I thought a useless decoration. She's under his protection. Hasej darkened. Would he offer to protect a spy? I think not. More likely she stole the tassel from him. We ought to release her. The emblem dangled before me, a blur of blue, 
And for the first time, I saw it clearly. All these weeks, I had ignored it for the dagger. Never noticed that the other side of its silver plate was emblazoned with Hawkins' name and family crest. A rabbit on a mountain, surrounded by five plum blossoms and a full white moon. Gods, it was true. The Sentinel Sparrow Inn was talking. If Lord Bushian's son had given me his protection, no Sentinel could harm me without grave consequences. Asage's gaze hardened, a beat too late. I realized he had no intention of letting me go. By the time I started running, his men seized me. I tried to kick and punch, but ropes bound my hands together, and someone forced a gag into my mouth. The Sentinels threw me to the ground. I landed against a hard rock and winced from the pain. As the wind whined against their blades, I went rabbit still, awaiting the blow that would end me. It never came. Someone threw me on top of a horse before my legs finished swinging down. Hasej slammed the pommel of his sword into the bowl of my head, and the edges of my world faded into oblivion.